evening, everybody, and welcome to another very special edition of Ignite Radio Live. Over the five mighty stations of Annunciation Radio. Tell me that song doesn't fire you up, no pun intended. Soul on fire. Very blessed to be with you all tonight. You are with Greg and Stephanie Schleter and some... Tapping your feet. I know it, people. I can see it. And some special guests for that. You know, what we're facing today is a problem so many people are perplexed by, but actually it has philosophical roots that we can really trace back and understand. The fact that our young people, percentage-wise, are not following the faith that's given to them is not a problem with Jesus or mm. His grace. It's a problem that the, of the cultural milieu, the cultural setting changing to an attitude that the young people are washed over with, baptized with, imbued with, that makes the gospel somehow threatening to who they are and their true identity. We, the, the, the cultural setting today has driven a divide between a young person's heart and God and religion, mm-hmm. such that it seems like they're afraid of this kind of foreign language, this foreign mm-hmm. land of religiosity. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. What we need to do is find ways to bridge that instead of creating divide, making bridges, so that our young people can see that God summons their greatness and that he's actually the key to everything that they desire. That's the work of evangelization today. That's awesome. And of course, the new evangelization you sort of allude to, that many have grown up with these terms, God, grace, faith, even the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, and they've uh, become associated with maybe mediocrity or apathy or uh, jump through the hoops or a lack of authenticity. And, uh, you know, I don't know, I'm, I'm in my 40s, just turned 49 last week, and so uh, obviously, Steph, you're smiling. <laughs> um, Barely in his 40s. Yeah, just about ready to turn half a century. But, you know, it's my experience that um, maybe a lot of these folks never really discovered that John 1010, that abundant life, um, as a relevant, uh, if you will, truth of our nature in Christ. And um, even when they went through, and this is sort of perplexing to me, as a lot of my peers, you know, went through this in high school and college, and then really kind of discovered what Chesterton sort of alluded to, that really can't break the moral law. We can only break ourselves against it. And now in their 30s, 40s, they're kind of coming back to their faith because they kind of have experienced enough of life to realize you really can't keep running into the berm and uh, and not suffer um, damage, not suffer brokenness. And so a good number of them, especially we have a peer right now who's uh, of a class of 130 who's stage four cancer. And uh, I think it's awakening a lot of my peers also to that realization that he's navigating a road we're all on. That, you know, we're going to die sooner or later. And what are the ultimate things? Do you find that, um, if you will, those who are, um, you know, strayed from the church, that there's a new awakening, that there's a, you know, a receptivity of the gospel, maybe, that there hasn't been in uh, former, former decades? Oh, absolutely. This is something that Pope Benedict... Benedict talked about back in 1972, when he was still just Father Ratzinger, he he wrote an excerpt from a book, or he wrote a book, and and in that book, he says that his prediction, this was back in 1972, is that the church would grow smaller. Mm -hmm. She'd go through a stage of purification, because the world would no longer accept the power that the church used to have. But after it was all over and the church was made a smaller, a little bit humbler uh, community, he said that after that, uh, the time would come where the world would look to Christianity as if it was something altogether new. Mm. And the light of the gospel would shine out even more brilliantly for the darkness that surrounded it. And that this would be kind of like a rebirth. Now, we can't avoid looking at those words too prophetically, Mm -hmm. but I think that we we definitely see amongst people generations that have not received the gospel right here on the American soil and who have not been taught it, that the message of Christ has a certain appeal. Just last week I had a fellow come to see me. He sat down in front of me, and it was the most wonderful exchange. He said, Father, 
tell me about God. Hmm. And I couldn't believe it was that. Wow. Like, no one has ever asked me that in nine years of priesthood. Oh, wow. <laughs> and how refreshing that was. He said he's gone through Buddhism. He studied some Hinduism. And, but he's not satisfied, and he's making a lot of money working in a secular world. But he said, I, I, I feel like this is not the answer. Maybe this Christianity has the answer. Can you tell me about God? That was just such a beautiful Please encounter, and I think there's a lot more people out there like that than we might think at first glance. That's fabulous, and uh, I do think you're right. I, I sense there is a, a fresh opening, and maybe, you know, for our listeners, this whole, um, <clears throat> you know, wake of postmodernism in the last, uh, whatever, 40, 50 years plus of, of denying that there is an objective truth, a concrete truth, or that it can be known, um, has left us in sort of this way of thinking that your truth is yours, and hers is hers, and his is his, and uh, it re- and we see it obviously filter into the probe, <clears throat> if you will, the pro-abortion, pro-choice argument, um, which, of course, uh, has had devastating you know, influence on the way we think today. My point is this, that um, people in that wake of postmodernism have discovered they really can't create the truth, but the truth has created them and is creating them. Um, they've been running into the berms, as we've suggested, and though they wouldn't know this philosophical language, that there's an objective truth, um, their spirits are, are have experienced some sense of uh, order and a shape, and uh, really, especially as we look at the current sociopolitical environment, this anti-establishment you know kind of culture. Um, what is it saying? If not, the institution can't save; only people can. Christ can. The institution can't love; only people can. I mean, this is really you know sort of that Catholic moment that we can, uh, if you will live, of course, the answer, but maybe, you know, invite others to recognize that this truth that Christ has revealed is a truth for the fullness of of our nature. So tell us about, Father, um, the work of Eagle Eye Ministries, and um, what are your dreams and aspirations? Oh, I'm (laughs) You know, Eagle Eye began as a response to the thirst in the hearts of young Catholics for something that went deeper and that could ignite them. Mm. And it continues to do that. We, we are working with a generation of young people who actually have been catechized and who have a faith. Mm-hmm. So I know that there's a vast majority that don't. But I also ask the question, what are we doing to make leaders out of the ones that do? Mm-hmm. And so what happened was I came across some who simply asked me, Father Nathan, would you please help us? Because our youth ministry program is nice, but we're kind of bored with it. Uh, we'd want to know if there's something deeper, because if not, we're afraid we're going to leave the faith behind. Mm-hmm. Our parents make us go to church. We do it, but we don't understand why. Mm-hmm. And so I started Eagle Eye uh, in order to minister to that need. We can't let the ones who have a little bit of faith or who are excited, who go to the Steubenville conferences mm-hmm. and get pumped up. And what do they do after Steubenville? Well, Eagle Eye steps into that need and says, let's go through and really show you the power, the explosive power of Christianity Mm. when you accept it into your life as something to which you can dedicate yourself. I think a lot of times in, in youth ministry, we approach it as, look, young people, this is all for you. You have to swallow it. But, but it's, it's much bigger than that. Jesus, the faith, wants to bring you into him. And instead of just him into you, it's our lives that enter into Christ. And that's when life really becomes exciting. And the evidence is that, well, we have over 5,000 alumni now all across the country who are excited and dedicated to that proposition of being Catholic until death. So my aspirations and dreams are to grow it. Let's bring as many souls to Jesus Christ and to his faith as we can. Because it's like the beautiful understanding that if the church does not bring people to Jesus. She has no reason to exist. Amen. <laughs> Amen. And so let's make it happen. <laughs> Amen. So, I, go, go ahead, ahead Steph. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies first. So I just, I mean, it fires me up on so many different levels, but so often, whether it's a youth ministry program or another parish ministry, fill in the blank, 
it just seems so often we lower the bar and you know you, I get fatigued by all oh, preaching to the choir well the choir needs to be fed and challenged and you know just that aspiration you know just us into Christ like you're saying father and that is just inspiring and so 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 much needed I think often we trip over the bar because we set it so low mm-hmm. and especially when it yeah. comes to young people and young adults you know they have it in there that thirst that desire that energy like take me there you know and that's awesome you know i'm looking at the uh, website folks uh, we're with by the way father nathan cromley you're tuned into ignite radio live and i'm at the website eagleeyeministries.org and uh, the formation area so you see father nathan a nice little banner on top with with looks like some great teaching in the background and a number of students kind of an inspiring little image as uh, as father is speaking right now and uh, just sharing with us really that um, those who have had this maybe original encounter with christ at these events Steubenville, and even talking to Dan Demetay today, Catholic Youth Summer Camps, and the real solid week-long of discipleship formation. Dan and I were talking today, and I was saying, Dan, there's got to be something for those who've had that encounter experience, um, who uh, know Christ is there, but that really, um, if you will, forges in them a leadership mentality and mindset, uh, certainly for themselves, but our listeners know we're used to this kind of threefold description of that we're called the you know, uh, Christ's DNA alive in us, empty, fill, and overflow. And often as Catholics, we stop at the fill. You know, we've been emptied in confession, repentance, renouncing stuff in our life, and that's ongoing, got it. Then we go and get filled. We're aware, even the liturgy of the Word, liturgy of the Eucharist, filled, flooded. Um, and then, you, you know, the priest really pronounces at the end of Mass, go now to love and serve the Lord. But that idea, are we having kind of that Pentecost uh, component of our lives where we are, you know, mindful of the call to impact the world with all the gifts that we've been given. And so, folks, Father Nathan is sharing with us this great uh, um, you know, mission that they have to form young people, and I'm, it's more than young people if you go to their website, but certainly form young people to be dynamic leaders in the world. So I have a question, though, because, um, Father, when we've done events, men's conferences, women's conferences, um, we always follow up with an evaluation. And others' evaluations, I've noticed in the past, only gauge what they may have felt, if you will, at best. You know, how was the day? What struck you most? What impacted you? Um, And those are all good questions. But to me, the greater questions would be, six months later, a year later, what concrete decisions did you make to more fully live and lead Jesus Christ to become a community of disciples, if you will, in your marriage, in your family, in your life. How different is your marriage, is your family, is your world um, as a result of your participating? And often, I hate to say it, we find a great chasm. Many have the conviction, uh, 95% have a conviction of these things. Conceptually, as Catholics, we get the concepts, they nod their heads with the talks and the you know, speaking and whatever, but there's a huge chasm between that conviction and actually committing. And um, so how do you sort of address this in your programming to help move very conceptual, rich culture of Catholics to actually, you know, taking those steps and making it happen for the life, the life hall, if you will? Well, I think that that's the challenge that we all face in evangelization. And so I'm I'm very happy to, to, to share with you about it, because when you talk with young people, they will say things like, I don't know why I need to go to church. Mm-hmm. Or they'll say, Mass is boring. And this isn't just teenagers. This is 20-year-olds. Mm-hmm. If you look at the, the fact that the business world is attracting our 20-somethings with no problem. Right. These mm-hmm. Young people will apply for jobs all day long. They'll stand in line to get, to get work. And yet you can't get them to stand for the length of the Passion on Passion Sunday right, <laughs> when it's right. right from the lectern. You know, and uh, everyone will go, they'll go shopping for the latest deals and spend hours doing that. But you try to make them make a holy hour and it's like you're killing them. Mm-hmm. And that's because we've got a disconnect that's 
at the basis of the problems that we're having. We think that our religion is there to serve our needs mm. and to cater to our emotional fulfillment. And when we do that, we terribly limit ourselves. Mm-hmm. We act like we, all we all are is consumers. And every person who comes into my life, including God, is there in order to fill up me. And in the end, I am the center of the universe. Mm-hmm. And what we try to do at Eagle Eye, through the contemplative life, of the prayer of brothers and sisters who are dedicated to contemplation, we turn that and invert it upside down. And we show the young person that the heart is not made to swallow everything up. It's made to give itself forth like a sweet anointment unto the feet of Christ. And so only a contemplative formation can teach that. And that's the privilege of a religious life. Your, your nuns and your priests and your monks, this is what we do all day long. And this is also how we avoid burnout yeah. and how we stay creative and positive. It's because we're not there like a funnel bringing everything into ourselves. We're there like a river pouring ourselves forth onto Christ and onto others. And that gives us life. It expands our horizons. It makes us see how great life really can be. So I think, to answer your question... What we need is living witnesses of authentic evangelizers being there on those retreats. Mm. There is no replacement for the encounter of a person with someone else who has that fire. This is why when Christ sent the apostles forth, he didn't send a tweet over Twitter. (laughs) He, He anointed these men. He baptized them with fire, and they were to bring his light. So I think if you're on a retreat or some of those listening, you do ministry, ask yourself, okay, where, who has the fire in the midst of my retreat or in the midst of my, of my Bible study or in the midst of whatever I'm doing in the church? Is there someone who's on fire? And if, if there's not, just be humble. It might not be mm-hmm. you either. Bring in somebody who is, because that's how the Holy Spirit's passed. That's awesome. I like to uh, refer often to works of C.S. Lewis, and folks will often ask me, why do you refer to C.S. Lewis? He's not Catholic, and I said, yes, he is now. Anyways, um, C.S. Lewis in his Screwtape Letters, uh, which is a marvelous portrait of the spiritual warfare that uh, goes on in our lives, and especially for those who are quote-unquote believers, um, and as an example, just uh, as you were speaking, it reminded me of the the words of the tempter Wormwood um, of Screwtape to Wormwood, his apprentice demon tempter, on the, the if you will, the patient that uh, he was trying to tempt and is in, goes to church. This patient, quote unquote, goes to church and, uh, and you know, um, Wormwood is all worried about this. He's going to church now and uh, Scrooge Tape said, don't worry about that. Just make it all about him. You know, uh, let him have a sense of self-righteousness, you know, a spiritual narcissism. And I think that's just a good challenge maybe for, for me and for our audience of those who are Catholic, you know, faithful, if you will, um, that it can be a thing where we're about consuming, if you will, uh, our checklist of spiritual things. And um, maybe it's a challenge us all the deeper to to recognize, am I, am I really a disciple of Jesus? Am I really not simply seeking to to receive the grace, but mindful God wants me to be in the game with him. Um, I have a question as you're speaking, though, Father. Um, we note that there's a particular challenge to men. Um, just plainly put, they're missing in action. Now, we know there are exceptions, um, but by and large, our studies, our surveys, our events, uh, the women, it's no different today than the women who went to the cross. The, the 11 abandoned Jesus, and uh, of course, uh, St. John went to the cross with Jesus, and the women did accompany Christ to the cross, and we see a similar thing going on today. Is that a conversation uh, that you have um, in your leadership and with your colleagues, if you will, of how to particularly engage men for an authentically dynamic male Catholic spirituality? You know, I think, Greg, if we could solve that question, we would remedy so much Mm -hmm. of the lassitude that we find in our parishes. There was a study that came out. And it said, and, and I, I wish I knew the exact study, maybe you can find this, but they took a, a study of, the, of families that had one parent that was practicing the faith. Mm-hmm. 
And they said, where the the father practiced, but the mother did not, 80% of the children kept their faith and practiced it. Mm -hmm. And in families where the mother practiced their faith and the father did not, it was exactly the opposite. 80% did not practice it. That is to say, in families, the the split of the children, 80% of the children will follow whatever the father does with respect to religion. Mm -hmm. And so how is it that we can, we can speak again to the hearts of men? Well, I think we need to honestly do some examination of conscience in terms of our church and say, is our, is our proclamation of Christ something that's directed to a man's heart? Mm. And I think, honestly, no. Mm. And I know this, at least from my own uh, upbringing and going through the church, what I constantly encountered was a Christ that was very, very... Um, how would I put it? Uh, tepid. Feminine. He didn't really summon me. There was very little proclamation of a Christ that said, I want you, Father Nathan, to train yourself to be an excellent servant of my word, and I want to send you off and conquest and battle mm-hmm. to bring people out of darkness into light. Well, I mean, as, as wonderful as every image is about God, and as wonderful as everything, even the feminine, speaks with the God, maybe even more than the masculine. Fine, I'm all for that. But if you don't hear that kind of preaching or a messaging that says, hey, I, we understand that masculinity is also an image of God, and here's the Word of God that speaks to that masculinity in your heart, well, it's obvious that men aren't going to respond. So I think we as evangelizers have to examine ourselves and say, is our music music that men can actually sing? Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, if, if all it is is speaking about our fears and overcoming our sadness all the time, right. this is not exactly <laughs> a, a typical male's like, big struggle. When they're 28 years old, a man is not worried about, you know, feeling shame and all this, you know, and overcoming that. Mm-hmm. He wants to know his mission. What am I made for? What is Christ calling me to? What, where is it where I put my greatness? Because that's a young man's heart. That's actually the men's heart throughout, throughout all ages. And so I, I honestly, I think there's lots of reasons why, but our biggest one, to sum it up, is that I think that we who proclaim the Word of God have not listened enough to our audience. We've tailored it to an audience that's very, very generalized. Mm-hmm. Instead of looking specifically and saying, what is it that Jesus wants to speak to men? And what is it Jesus wants to speak to women? What is it that Jesus wants to speak to children? And if we tailored it more, I think we'd get a more direct response. I, I love Amen. that. I love what Amen. you're saying. Amen. And uh, we just can't hear enough about that. Um, I think a lot of men just don't find clarity in their soul of the invitations that are around them uh, to enter in and, and uh, to assume something God designed. And maybe they're left feeling, well, uh, maybe I don't fit in. Or maybe this faith thing and this leadership thing just, just isn't for me. Um, we often reflect on that uh, beautiful John Paul II, St. Pope John Paul II's catechesis, the theology of the body, and just that genesis. 127 in his image he made them male and female and we often understood this that uh, you're really not going to understand your full nature and mission without reference to the opposite gender that there are attributes of each uh, of our genders that uh, the synergy, if you will, the complementarity of which gives us a greater understanding of God himself and um you know, I, I don't know. I, I'm really even open to any callers, certainly tonight, who have any questions or want to enter in this conversation. I'm going to give you a number now, 877-275-8098, And anybody just tuning in, we're with Father Nathan Cromley, just having a great dialogue. Uh, Eagle Eye Ministries is a big part of their work, um, seeking to really transform culture um, by forming dynamic young disciples. And... Um, you know, really engaging them. I just want to jump back to a few things. Gosh, there's so much richness in everything that you're saying, Father. So thank you for that and being so open to allowing the Spirit to be speaking through you. I mean, it's just, I know you're touching so many souls. So thank you for your priesthood and um, oh, and all that the Lord is doing with and through it. I'm so fired up. I want to, ah. Oh. <laughs> anyway, um, just a couple things. First, you mentioned the, the sisters and the fathers, and Greg was um, commenting on the different photos on the awesome website, eagleeyeministries.org. And the sisters, could you get any more beautiful? 
Can I just say that? I mean, to, to see the joy in their faces and their beautiful habits and just awesome. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Steph has our daughters signed I'm up already. I'm thinking maybe. Um, so... <laughs> And, and the, the two words, authentic witnesses, I know the different things that our own children have been involved in. Yes, they've been powerful, you know, whether it's the Steubenville conferences or Catholic Youth Summer Camp. The one thing that they come back with amidst the many great talks or great moments over and over and over again, it's the people who they say just the real deal. You know, they're living it, that joy. And something that you talk about that seems so um, integral to Eagle Eye Ministries in your order is just that um, contemplative spirit, which is so missing Mm -hmm. in the world today on so many levels, you know, devices and cell phones and this and that. And especially for our young people, they don't know a world without it. And just that importance of it. And when you're talking about the men in church and whatnot, and you have so many of these people, and, and this is across the board, but who are willing to be on parish council, who are willing to, you know, fix whatever, you know, to, to dedicate their time and service, which are great, wonderful things, and I don't want to diminish them, but um, as Greg has said different times when we've given talks, you know, when was the last time that you, you, that's great that you were here an hour and a half, but when was the last time you took to talk and pray with your family or to spend your own personal prayer time? You know, it's like you're saying, Father, it's all about our needs. And, and sometimes it's that solipsistic thing. You know, we feel better when we do something, but it's about us. It's looking inward instead of looking outward. Um, so, so many things. But that contemplative spirit, I just think, just needs to be um, pronounced again and again. I wanna, there's that need there. I want to punctuate f- what Father is saying um, with some quotes here from the good Bishop Olmsted of Phoenix, who has done uh, a lot of wonderful uh, exhortations uh, by video or letter in the past year or two on the subject, and then you know shift um, and, and inquire what it might take for us to live this out. But Bishop Olmsted of Phoenix, quote, Men, do not hesitate to engage in the battle that is raging around you. He goes on, the battle that is wounding our children and families, the battle that is distorting the dignity of both women and men. This battle is often hidden, but the battle is real. It is primarily spiritual, but it is progressively killing the remaining Christian ethos in our society and culture and even in our own homes. So on that point, just a quick, not necessarily quick, but an important (laughs) pivot, um, that when we're planting seeds with young people, or anybody for that matter, adults, how important is it that we also have a consideration for the, the, if you will, the ground, the culture that they're going to go back to, um, where those seeds need to be cultivated. You know, how important is it and what can we do? What advice do you have to these folks as they oftentimes might be going back to maybe a marriage where they're not paired, say for older folks, or young people who go back to a home where maybe that dynamism is not there, um, or a parish that uh, even though Jesus is there, body, blood, soul, and divinity, I know we can anchor them deeply there, but maybe they don't have that, you know, necessary, you know, networking support. It's a very, very good question, Greg, and it deserves a lot of a lot of consideration. Um, it happens at, at the end of every retreat when young people come to Eagle Eye. The proof is in the pudding, right? Like uh, we've done nothing but grow in the past fourteen years. Because even though at an eagle eye, you'll have four hours of prayer, or three, three and a half hours of prayer, you'll have four hours of classes, um, a total of 20 hours of prayer and 20 hours of class in five days. The young people absolutely love it. Why? Because what they find at eagle eye is the mystery of the church. And the church is the sacrament of Christ's salvation. It's where God meets man. How could you not be happy? What we find, though, is that at the end of it, what I call it is the peak, the post-Eagle Eye crash. And and so we've gotten to the point where now we we prep them for the peak, and we say, here's what you need to do. So I'm used to, to addressing this question. And here's, I think, some great pieces of advice. Number one, every year you need to be making a retreat. 
If you cannot, you're in your calendar, folks. If you're married, for example, and say, "Oh, there's just absolutely no way." Well, I can agree. I mean, if you've got little kids at home, et cetera, but how many years is that going to continue? Some listening, you're now 55. You're 60 years old. Are you still saying there's no way you could ever make a retreat? I, I think that we have to take an analysis of ourselves mm-hmm. and really be able to say, "Is God a real priority?" Because when it comes to my job, I take training. When it comes to my family, I make sure that we do vacation. Mm-hmm. When it comes to me serving the Lord in the desert like Moses and offering adoration, why is it that suddenly there I say I absolutely have no time? Right. I think it's the number one. You should be trying to make a retreat a year, even if it's short, one day. That's great. I knew one married couple that they trade every Saturday from 8 a.m. till noon. The one spouse gets to go and just be by themselves with God. Awesome. And the other spouse watches the kids. And the next Saturday, they exchange. And it's only from 8 till noon, but it enables them to get into that rhythm of prayer. Second thing, there is such um, an abundance of awesome Catholic formation that's available now online that you can get on your phone, you can get the Bible readings of the Mass on your phone, you can get Saint of the Day, you can listen to Annunciation Radio anywhere, you can sign up for podcasts and get them downloaded to your phone every day. We have so much wonderful things happening in terms of evangelization. I really encourage everyone listening to just say, okay, I can do one. One thing that will make it deeper by listening to one source of truth or teaching in my life. And then the third thing that I think that they can do is, is no matter where, how bad the situation socially in the church is, if our Lord is there in the tabernacle, His presence is still there. Amen. And so I think if we were to add to our, our week at least one half an hour of time alone with Jesus in the tabernacle, we'd find such a peace that I think, in a sense, the church would build around us. A lot of times we point fingers and we say, well, it's the priest's fault, and then it's the people who are mean fault, and then it's everyone talking after Mass, it's their fault. And just stop for a second, folks. When was the last time you pointed your finger at yourself mm-hmm. and said, maybe it's my fault because I'm not praying either? We need to instead start to simply say, I'm going to dedicate myself to God, and then maybe other people who love God and who need God will find Him in me. And that's, after all, our mission. That is awesome. Uh, Folks, again, tuned in to Ignite Radio Live, and uh, we are with Father Nathan Cromley, and really talking about building a civilization of love. We're talking about engaging people, disciples. All of us are called to be disciples in Christ, and tapping that inside and uh, forming it and uh, equipping them to really live it out. And, of course, the Eucharist is the source and summit of that. The Eucharist is everywhere. Um, And I think, obviously, a real challenge of pastors, and let's, you know, we love our pastors. We love our priests. We recognize the great challenges many of them have wearing multiple hats. Uh, If they had to detail the hours that they spend any given day, I suspect most of them would say they never envisioned themselves having to get caught up and mired in in lesser things, but uh, they find themselves in those positions. We find increasingly our church is dealing with that. Um, But I want to ask you a question, Father. Uh, I don't know if you've thought about it, and so you can punt on this question, but I'll ask you anyways. Um, What vision do you have for a parish? If you were suddenly called to be a pastor, what would be most important to you for that particular parish? Wow. Where does that question come from? <laughs> well, you have a lot of, you, you know, you get the context and you get that you're sending young people and adults and how critical the Eucharist is and a parish community and, you know, priests out there trying real hard to do their best and you interact with many priests. You know, have you ever had an opportunity to kind of, uh, have you ever thought about, you know, you know what, you know, what, what does a vision look like? Hmm. I, I just love it. Uh, I, I think that, When we look at our parish communities, we're supposed to find a Catholic culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, If you have an overemphasis on spirituality, uh, you'll have a church that is also ineffective, just as if you have an underemphasis. Mm. I don't think, I'm not saying it's possible to overemphasize the value of the Mass or the Eucharist, but if it's not connected to smiles afterwards... Uh, laughter, caring about one another, 
mm. parish activities, formation that goes on. It's almost like a, it's like a fountain with, without a riverbank. It's just there bubbling away, but it's not going anywhere. Mm. And so the number one thing I think we need to take care of in our parishes is the way that we celebrate Holy Mass. Holy Mass needs to be holy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the encounter of heaven and earth. But you see, the thing that happened at Vatican II that was, that was so wonderful, in a sense, was that Vatican II was saying, we need to make Mass more accessible to the people. Mm-hmm. But the, the difficulty is that that accessibility requires catechesis. Mm-hmm. And that means that we need to be teaching our people by programs, but also activities, and also presence and family life in the parish, that the Mass is something that you prepare for, and that it's something that flows out in a life of evangelization. And that, was the, that was the vision of Vatican II for the Mass. And it was just lost because we were a little bit lazy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard to really teach people that they're supposed to get along and pray for one another, and that their work becomes a sacrifice to God, that they, and their suffering becomes a sacrifice. The work is the bread. The suffering is the grapes. You crush them down. You form the host, and you offer them to the priest's hands. And then on Sunday, all of your work and all of your suffering are united to Jesus Christ himself to become sanctified. And you've given that body and blood of Christ, which is also your gift, of yourself, you're giving yourself again renewed, and you're supposed to then be sent forth to carry that mass out. It's like breathing in and breathing out. But that catechesis is missing. But at the same time, if we ignore that mass, we don't have a point of existing at all, and nothing else makes sense. So what I would do if I had to start a parish or, or give advice to those in parishes, you want to focus on the mass, but then you also want to ask yourself, What are we doing as a parish to prepare people to bring their real lives to that Mass? And what are we doing afterwards to make that Mass incarnate? I think that that's really the, the Mass is the center of it all. I'll give you one cool example. I was at a parish once, it blew me away. This has only happened in one place that I've been. Now, I haven't been everywhere, but it it, it was a parish church. They had Sunday Mass, a real small parish. And after Sunday Mass, Every single person in the church, there must have been 150 of them in the church, they all saved two, two people only. Everyone else went downstairs into the parish hall. Wow. And and in the parish hall, they had more than just coffee and donuts, self-service, but some awkward conversation. They had entertainment for the kids. There was a man who announced all the birthdays of the people in the room. We sang them happy birthday. It was a parish community where the people acted like they loved one another. Mm. And, and I, I think that we've got to become more creative instead of just programming throughout the week to really try to make that place an experience also of one another. That's going to require a lot of work and leadership and a lot of changed hearts from the people. So I would say for those who are listening, because there's probably no priests listening, so you can't blame it on them. I point my fingers at everyone listening tonight in your Great. radio. And I could say, when was the last time that you reached out to anyone in the parish just because they were in the parish. And I would say, here's your challenge. Think of a young person, a 20-something, a 30-something, a young family, a mom with squeamy kids in the pews. There's someone that you, I challenge you to go up towards and simply welcome, get to know, say hello to, just because they're in the parish. If everyone did that every single week, even one time, imagine the impact that that would make. It'd be wonderful. We'd all go back, and our kids would too. That's what's amazing. They wouldn't. They wouldn't complain about church. They would love to go to church. Right, Father. I just uh, we're very moved um, by the portrait that you paint, and um, just invite our our listeners as we are here now, uh, if you will, drinking in this this insight of the extraordinary in the ordinary. Uh, that the Eucharist, a holy communion, ought to be the heart of a holy community. And in fact, this holy community ought to be a reflection. The holy community lived corresponding to the holy communion received. And uh, that is a challenge for all of us. Uh, you know, Steph and I, I think we're aware um, that we've had an explosion of great activity and great um, acti- resources in the last 30 years. You have Scott Hahn and uh, the Augustine Institute and just great things, uh, conferences and events, and all of that is wonderful and great. Um, 
speak to father maybe a challenge that we might have in sort of the next step of possibly you know i i don't know um being busy with our activity uh and maybe just being so busy that uh we we're, we're not encountering the blessedness do you experience some of that that maybe that there's a lot of programs and activities but you know maybe something missing at the core kind of a connect the dots versus a picasso kind of portrait Wow. Well, absolutely. Crazy. These are hardballs. It's October. It's baseball season. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it, it's true on the one hand, uh, what you're saying, but on the other, I think we also need a few more programs. <laughs> a lot of times okay. what happens is that the, the programs aren't run with the spirit of missionary endeavor. They're not trying to bring anyone in. We're a little bit satisfied just to throwing stuff in the bulletin and seeing who will right. come, and the same crowd comes again and mm -hmm. again. This is where the experience of doing youth ministry could really help in a parish. Because if I just send an email out about what I'm doing, I will get about two young people when I'm expecting 40. Mm -hmm. The only way you get young people is through word-of-mouth invitation. And right. so I think right away from our parishes, a lot of times we're satisfied because we have 15 people at a talk. And meanwhile, there's 1,500 people who are not there. Right. And I think we need to sit back and go back and say, wait a second, we actually need to beef up our programming and become aggressive, so to speak, with that boldness of the faith to bring people into those programs. Number two, though, uh, the connectedness. It really requires, and here's where everyone can contribute, the wisdom of the saints. Mm -hmm. You, Greg, and you, Stephanie, you have the gift of the Holy Spirit and anointing of the Holy Spirit as lay people. Every single person, baptized person listening tonight, you have been anointed by the Holy Spirit. This means that you have a wisdom from on high. And if you were to, to kind of like stop pointing fingers at the Pope or at the bishop mm -hmm. or at your pastor, and you were to start instead to say, what can I do to make a difference? those programs would be filled instantly. Amen. If I only had six people, and they each told six people to come to a program, I would immediately have 42 people sitting there in the program. And all it would require is you reaching out to that divorcee, that young mom, that, that young person who's 30 and wondering why they're there, and they just sit there by themselves, and inviting them to come. So I guess what I'm saying, Greg, is that that connectivity can't be made by more programming. It's got to be coming from impelling the hearts of the faithful who are there to lay hold of that beautiful call that Jesus gave to each one of them. Be my voice. I sometimes imagine, wouldn't it be neat if we were walking along the shore with Jesus and he whispered in our ear, see that fisherman over there? Go call him for me. Wouldn't it be amazing if he, and he would send me forth to say, Jesus wants you to be with him? I mean, we would go instantly. Right. Well, You'd tonight we on this radio show, Jesus is saying to every single person listening, go and call your husband for me. Call your son for me. Mm. Call your sister-in-law for me. Don't let those who have fallen away from the faith stay fallen away. This is the time to evangelize, mm. and you are the one to do it. Why do you think that most Catholics have such a difficult time with that, Father? Because they just haven't heard it before. <laughs> mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We, you know, if you look historically at our churches, right, they, they kind of became institutions and institutionalized because that was just the way that things were done. And that's one of the advantages of the cultural shakeup. Is that it's making us realize that institutions can only be filled by saints. Right. They don't fill themselves. Right. So if you, as a leader, recognize that flame in someone's heart, put that flame underneath the hard wood of the other hearts so we can heat them up, because the church as an institution won't just keep going by herself. She needs people in it who believe, who love, and who hope. And that's what it's all about. That's awesome. I do think, uh, maybe you're slightly more optimistic, I do have power, a belief in the power of the Holy Spirit and, and the power of calling people to do this. Uh, just a sense that those who do hear this calling, um, how many of us right now are aware of somebody who really needs to know Christ's love? 
and are motivated to send them a simple message in whatever form. Hey, I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. We have a little commercial, by the way, not now, but often in our program that we call it the, uh, what do we call it, Steph? Flash fire Flash moment. fire moment, where we invite people right on the spot to think of that. And um, our studies kind of show that most people, um, whether that or other calls from conferences or retreats, still have a difficult time. Um, I do think it's a cultural thing, too, also, and you're forming that with these folks gathered together for a retreat or a week or whatever that they see they're not alone um, and that and maybe if they experience the fruit of stepping outside the boat it is uncomfortable it is taking a venturing outside what's close to us and seeing the grace that flows when we do that um, certainly I think a lot of us um, are in need of recognizing how divisive devices are uh, that they but facilitate a lot of you know promise connectivity but they're not facilitating connectivity in fact there's a direct correlation uh, of increased depression, anxiety, with the amount of sort of device use. But, you know, what you're saying, Father, resonates with us so much that Revelations 12:11 is the enemy active in our lives? Yes. Well, how do they defeat the enemy? By the blood of the Lamb, of course, Holy Mass, and what else? The word of their testimony. So, yes, brothers and sisters, as you're listening tonight, um, let us not just be challenged, but be connected to God's heart that wants to flow through us to others and, uh, and speak God's love to them. If you're thinking of somebody right now, brother or sister, I just want to echo what Father Nathan said and accept that, you know, maybe it's more than just by chance you're listening right now. Maybe it's the Holy Spirit who's moving you. And five years down the road, that person's going to say, had you not reached out on that night, October 11th, 2016, I would not be where I'm at today. Um, Father, before we were coming in for a landing here, and we do uh, typically um, have some intercessory prayer from folks who posted some things online in about a minute or two, but share with us very practically, what are some of the opportunities that um, you can invite our listeners to? I would love to, uh, number one, talk about something I'm really excited about. I'm going to be going to on a, uh, a pilgrimage retreat that's a real retreat in on the on the land where two saints uh, lived and died, and it's Kalupapa, Hawaii, on May twelfth to May twenty May twelfth May twenty first. I'll be taking uh, adults, so everyone who's you know forty and over, thirty five and over, with me uh, for a four day preached retreat on the land of Saint Damien and Saint Mary and Cope, and I invite wow. everyone to come with me. I also would invite people to go to my website, Eagle Eye Ministries, and you'll see a couple links that you can click on. Number one, you could click on our associates link, and that's a great way for you to get involved. If what I've said has touched you tonight, please go and, be, and sign up to be one of our associates. Sign up for our email letters, because what we're doing is really exciting, and you can be a part of it and help us touch the lives of thousands of young people. There's another button on there, which is the Donate button. Mm -hmm. And there I'm actually appealing for support because we have uh, our own overhead to hit. And my goodness, if we can expand our ministry, it'll be thanks to the supporting of people like you. So you can head to eagleeyeministries.org, E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org, and sign up for our newsletter, become a volunteer, or send us uh, monetary support. Uh, you will be a part of the change that you desire to see. Thank you, Father. And just, we'll cue you in a second. If you could just lead us in a closing blessing prayer. But folks, I want to say, I'm so moved by Father Nathan. We are a single-income family, you all know. We're dependent on our own nonprofit. We have six kids. But I am moved right now just to stretch, as I think God blesses us to be blessers. I'm moved to stretch, and I'm just going to say this, um, that I, I'm stretching to an amount that I'm going to donate right now um, to the organization. The that, well, I'm going to ask you folks just to match me, any of you who can. I'm going to donate $50 um, right now, and I'm going to ask anybody who's listening to go to Eagle Eye Eagle Eye Ministries, I'm in the yes. Donate tab. Yep. <laughs> org, And then the far right is a Donate Now. And just asking any of you to please join me in whatever amount. Match it, whatever you can do as a prayer. Mm-hmm. Not just, the, certainly the organization, but but make it, uh, know that God is going to bless it. And that you're going to, let me just put it real directly and simply. You will see souls in heaven who would not have been there had you said no. You're going to see souls in heaven who would not have been there had you said no. So I want to invite you to join me in doing that, prompted by the Holy Spirit right now. Father, if you don't mind leading us in a closing prayer. 
Absolutely. And, and just before I do that, I forgot, we also have a beautiful young adult retreat in Cincinnati the first weekend in November. So any young adults 18 to 35, go to the website, you'll see the information, first weekend in November. And here's the prayer. Dear, dear, uh, dear God, Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, pour your life into the hearts of our listeners tonight mm. and kindle in them deep aspirations for holiness. Mm. And may your blessing come upon everyone listening as I bless all of you in nomine Patris et Filii et Spiritus Sancti. Amen. Amen. God bless you, Father. Thank, Thank you, you so much, much for Father being Nathan. with us. God bless you. Thanks. Folks, we're just going to turn to prayer. Very blessed to have Father Nathan with us and lift up these intentions. So we're going to continue in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We join Mary in praying uh, for uh, abortion to be ended in this country, for life to be respected and honored. We join Natalie in lifting up all those uh, who have suffered any kind of assault for an acceptance of the outpouring of his mercy. We join Maria, Lord, for a friend's baby who has a cyst of some sort on his his or her spine. Um, we just ask for healing and peace for the family and for her marriage and family that Satan may be renounced in every way that he is trying to affect them. We join Josie in praying for a friend who's really stressed about uh, things going on in school uh, and needing guidance. And we join Katie in gratitude for her family. Pour forth your blessings, Lord, on all of us as we seek to live you to the world. We ask all this in your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. This is Mark Genovese from St. John the Baptist Parish in Toledo. You're listening to Catholic Radio in the Diocese of Toledo on Annunciation Radio. Faith with Frequency. This is Dale Alquist with a Chesterton Minute. Have you ever heard someone say that we should stop opposing things like abortion and homosexual unions because there's simply nothing we can do about it? You can't prevent that stuff. It's inevitable. So just accept it. Well, G.K. Chesterton says the other word for inevitability is impenitence. We have let ourselves be dominated by the notion that there's no turning back. This idea is rooted in materialism and the denial of free will. Now this modern refusal to undo what has been done is not only an intellectual fault, it is a moral fault also. It is not merely our mental inability to understand the mistake we have made, it's also our spiritual refusal to admit that we have made a mistake. Want more than a minute? Chesterton.org Isn't life an awesome gift? Married couples have the power to co-create an eternal life with God that will last forever. God has also designed us so that we can plan our families effectively, naturally, and without chemicals or barriers. Learn natural family planning in English or Spanish through classes or home study from the Couple to Couple League. Visit CCLI.org or call 800-745-8252. 